This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, Ray, how you feeling? You know... When the temperatures drop and we get that winter feeling things, it really affects me more. That's when I get that aching in my bones. But I found that CBD and medicinal together can take care of the majority of my aches and pains. The ones that, you know, you have every day as you age, but also the ones that you get from all those activities of taking care of business in the fall. No kidding. I've been doing a lot of raking because we have so many old trees around our house that you rake one day and then two days later... The yard's filled up with leaves again, so it's a never-ending... Think of it as a workout program. (laughs) It totally is a workout program, but like you, the CBD with the medicinal makes a huge difference in relieving pain and allowing me to function normally. And that's why we're happy to have One CBD as our sponsor here on the podcast. Uh, go to onecbd.com. That's O N E C B D.com. Or follow them on at onecbd life on Twitter. And you can find out about all the aspects of what One CBD does to help you with your pain. One of the things that I like the most, Marcus, is that everything they purchase to be used in their CBD is 100% organically grown hemp free from pesticides and fertilizers. And that's important because it's important to know what you put in your body. I also like the fact that they're third-party lab tested and made in the USA because they're third-party lab tested. We know that there is some science backing up and making sure that what they're putting out is high quality and it's made right here in the USA. So jobs are provided. That science It's the science of nano emulsion. I don't know what it is, but it sounds impressive. And they know what it is, and they know how to take care of business when it comes to your pain. At 1CBD, check them out online at 1CBD.com. O-N-E-C-B-D.com. Achieve a renewed sense of balance. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And it's good to be together talking about one of our new favorite subjects here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, Birthday Twins. <laughs> I was going to say rock and roll. That's one of our old favorite subjects. <laughs> All timers, <Yeah>. baby. 
And as always, the podcast is brought to you by One CBD. Find them at onecbd.com and by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hamperell, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And we thank all of them for their support of what we do here on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Are you ready to dive into one of the most unique birthday twins we have found so far? By far the most unique and uh, sort of the most eerie as well, without saying any more, but teasing as we uh, lead forward. Insert ghost bed music here. (laughs) Well, it is kind of strange because the two guys that we're talking about were born on the same day, September 14th, 1949, uh, here in the U.S. in different parts of the country. Uh, One would get his start in the 1960s during the psychedelic rock period of American rock history. And the other would get his chance at rock and roll stardom because of the first guy's departure from a band that he would become a part of in the 1970s. We're talking about Ed King and Steve Gaines, birthday twins, both part of Leonard Skinner here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm very excited that we found birthday twins that are in the same band like this. I mean, we did have Bobby Keys and Keith Richards, but Bobby Keys isn't a Rolling Stone. He's a member of the touring, and he's recorded with them and that. But these guys are full-on, full-fledged members of the same band. In the short time period they were all playing together, they made some pretty incredible rock and roll. We'll get into it in detail, but basically, Ed King leaves Leonard Skinner. They're in a spot on what was called the Torture Tour, I believe was the nickname for that one. And they enlist Steve Gaines to join Leonard Skinner. And that really brings in an interesting angle on this week's podcast, Marcus, which is Ed King leaves, Steve Gaines enters, enter the fates. If Ed doesn't leave, he's on the plane. If Steve doesn't join... He's not. So I wonder how his mind processed that after experiencing something like that, knowing that very easily that could have been him. I really wonder how he resolved it and how he was able to move forward, knowing very well that, damn, that could have been me. And the fact that he left, Stevie joined, They had a a hot run, and then it happened as they were really just taken off for, you know, all kinds of new level stuff for a band that had already established themselves as one of the great American rock bands. And, And I don't know if Ed's ever said anything about it, really. I've seen him interviewed, and he's been part of all these different Skinner documentaries, and he's talked about a lot of things, but I don't remember. He may have talked about it, and I just don't recall. It can't be easy to sit there and think that. It's not quite the Waylon Jennings situation or the Robert Cray situation where you can say, yeah, I gave up my seat to that guy. So these two guys are born on the same day. Ed has a different life. He comes up in the California scene and uh, becomes a member of the Strawberry Alarm Clock. You remember them, right? Incense and Peppermints was a number one hit for them, established them. Good sense, sense, crippling mankind. Part of the whole L.A. scene, born and raised in Glendale, California, which we just talked about on the podcast, right? Yep, that whole scene really had a cool vibe to it throughout the decades. I mean, if you look at 
the 50s and the surf rock and the early rock and roll from the West Coast. There was always that cool vibe to it, and it carried over into the 60s with the psychedelic and the surf and all of that music. And then in the 70s, as the rock and roll changed, you had bands like Van Halen in the late 70s who really had that cool vibe as well. And, of course, we all know how the 80s was, so... How do we end up in the 80s? Man, you just jumped into the time machine and didn't tell me you hit 1982. What? Uh, I'm just saying, if you just look at the decades and over the years, there's always been that coolness, and it continues even today, so... So they plug into the psychedelic scene of the 60s, get their number one hit, you know, like I said, Incense and Peppermints in the uh, year 1967, the Summer of Love, and they had some other songs that got them on the radio and stuff like that, but they became a touring band. And, you know, Ed as a guitarist and as a bassist was no slouch. He was a really great player. And somewhere along the line, uh, they were playing, and the opening band were these kids from Jacksonville called The One Percent. The One Percent. And King apparently liked the band so much that he went over to their singer, a guy named Ronnie Van Zandt, basically said, hey, if you ever need me to help you in any way, like play with you at the studio, whatever, here's my number. Stay in touch. Never thinking he'd hear from them, I guess. You fast forward, Uni Records, the label for Strawberry Alarm Clock faces financial issues. They fold. The band folds and disbands in 72. So, hey, where did I put that number for that kid from Jacksonville? The number comes out of the drawer. Ed makes the call. Ed's down south and plugs in to be a member of Leonard Skinner. And one of the things that he did, among many other things which we can talk about, is he's the writer of Sweet Home Alabama. It's his voice counting it off at the beginning. One, two, three. Although he said he always felt like an outsider, he is very much a part of the initial launch of Leonard Skinner to the world. I was a little later to the uh, Leonard Skinner party. They, um, I remember hearing the music on the on the radio stations. I didn't have any Leonard Skinner albums or music until I think the nineties. Do you think that you were late to the party on music from Leonard Skinner because of the crash and that they were kind of a non issue as a band by the time you were adventuring? Or was it the music that you got into or that attracted you that was more interesting to you than say something more traditional rock and roll? I would say probably a little bit of both due to the fact that the crash oh. happened on my eleventh birthday it was like, really? well, yeah, what? I know, I know. And I remember reading about it in the news, you know, being, hey, they have cool tunes. And I remember the rock stations in Denver doing tributes to Leonard Skinner and playing some of their, a bunch of their music. I think because I was at the age where they weren't releasing continually new music, they just kind of easily right. got pushed back. And it wasn't And then everything that was there that was yeah. there in 77 and 78 and 79, which we've been talking about recently, is all there for you. And you jump into that. So I, I get it. And a lot of people, I think, picked up on them uh, later because of the uh, Golden Platinum release, too, uh, when CDs were more of a thing, uh, attracting a lot of people to more of the music that was Leonard Skinner. But there at the beginning of things, Ed's an important part of this. And I don't think that they become the band that they become without him in the band, even though he said he always felt like an outsider. Um, maybe because he wasn't Southern. I don't know. I know the boys because I worked with Skinner for about five years when they did the 20 release, 20 years after the crash. I guess I know what he's talking about. 
But it didn't feel that way at the beginning when he met the 1% in that bar, but into the uh, strawberry alarm clock. And initially, he joined as a bass player. So he's in there replacing Leon, who later came back as Leon, man. He was an interesting cat. I'll just say that. And when he came back, they didn't want to lose him because they thought he was doing some neat stuff. And that's when they formed up the three-guitar army sound, the trademark sound of Leonard Skinner, along with Alan Collins and Gary Rossington. So that's how he kind of integrated. You know, Keith Richards always talks about the ancient art of weaving when two guitars can play each other and feel each other and play that closely together. There you had three guys who were doing it. It was pretty amazing. And that's where he was, right in the middle of all that, through, you know, pronounced Leonard Skinner, second helping, nothing fancy. Their sound was very unique in such a way that it was recognizable the minute you heard them on the radio. By no means did the Mm -hmm. song sound the same, but there's a tone and there's a feel and there's an energy about their music that you can say, hey, this is Leonard Skinner. And, and, you know, I've, I've heard Gary tell this uh, story in interviews. Uh, Ed, uh, being an entrepreneur, would buy a bunch of stuff before they would go on tour and then sell it at a large markup, make a few bucks off the other guys because they got the munchies late at night on the bus, <laughs> stuff like that. And so it wasn't all, you know, oh, yeah, well, fuck you. It wasn't like that. But for Ed King, the end of his run with Leonard Skinner leads to Ann Arbor, Michigan. You're thinking, what the fuck? Ann Arbor? <laughs> Ann Arbor? <laughs> And in this case, the guy who was his guitar tech and changed the strings on his axes got thrown in jail before the show. Didn't get till the right before. He had to play on old strings, broken strings. And Ronnie was riding him the entire show all the way to the end. And then at the end, he and I've seen him talk this way about it in uh, one of the documentaries. Uh, I think it's If I Leave Here Tomorrow. And he just kind of stops and wistfully looks at the camera and says, I thought that's it. And after the show, he went back, packed up his stuff, and he went home. Wow. He's more of the hippie guy and maybe all the fighting in excess and the crazy stuff kind of fueled it but that incident is often what he had talked about uh as the the last straw for him and what led to him to leave and um you know still continue to benefit i guess you'd say because of his share of the writing credits on the, the leonard skinner classics uh, they, those kind of things, they, they last longer than the lives of the people who wrote them, even if they don't die tragically in a, in a too young in a plane crash or something. True. And, uh, Ed continued to, uh, treasure his legacy and his part in Skinner's legacy right up to his death in August of 2018, just a couple of years ago, Ed King, one half of our birthday twins, both of them. Members of Leonard Skinner. That's kind of a crazy hook for this episode of the podcast, isn't it? It's completely crazy. And the fact that no matter what the circumstances are, that plane crash would have probably taken one of them. You know what? Looking at what I said earlier from a different angle, you're absolutely right, Marcus. Uh, It really is one of those things, the fates things that we've talked about from time to time. And the fact that Ed came from a different perspective You know, the fact that he was smitten with them as an established act and wanted to work with them and then did for a while, it just wasn't quite meshing the way that I guess even the guys from Jacksonville thought it might. The last few years were kind of tough for Ed, too, Marcus, health-wise. He had a heart transplant and lost his battle with cancer in August of 2018, which we mentioned earlier. Age 68 and lived a lot longer than a lot of his Skinner bandmates, especially the ones who didn't make it through the crash. Yeah, still Ed King had a big impact on the Leonard Skinner music and 
who they became moving forward even after he left. And their legacy as great musicians and a great band in rock and roll history. Very great band in rock and roll history. Their music still makes you move to this day when you hear it. When we come back in the second half, we'll talk about a kid from Missouri whose sister was in the back line of the Skinner band and got him his big break. It's birthday twins number four on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And when I have a thirst that needs quenching, Marcus, you know I'd love to go to Crooked Eye Brewery right there in the heart of Hapro at York and Montgomery. A great place to go, great people, and most importantly, fresh, delicious craft brews brewed right there on the premises by the one and only Jeff Mulherin. He is creative, man. He's made some pretty darn good beers over the time that they've been sponsoring us because I've had the pleasure of tasting quite a few, and I really like what he's doing with beer, and I love the environment and the atmosphere at Crooked Eye because you have music, you have live music. They have a turntable yeah. so you can play vinyl, and they have a very healthy set of vinyl. And and they have a jukebox now. They found an old jukebox that somebody what? was getting rid of, and, so they're, and it's stocked with great old 45s. I know. You weren't expecting that, were you? I definitely wasn't expecting that but boy they just keep adding to it and making it more and more appealing it's great what they're doing there and i want to talk to you about the brews went in recently and had a pint of the crooked ipa and i don't know what he's doing but man it tasted better than ever so new stuff for the season new stuff always but the standard crooked eye brews still tasting great always fresh Right there in Hatboro. And you know what else is really cool? Because they don't serve food, they've got food trucks coming. Yeah, more and more. And food trucks serve banging food. Get all the info on their Facebook, Crooked Eye Brewery, and online at crookedeyebrewery.com. Serving the cure for what ails you since 2014, Crooked Eye, our sponsor here on the podcast. We're back on the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and now we are going to head to a very small town in the southwest corner of Missouri. You know where Seneca is? Yeah, it's down out south of Joplin as you get down towards like Oklahoma and uh, what else is down there? Uh, I I always forget you went to college in Missouri. Yeah, I went to... Columbia, Missouri, University of Missouri, right smack dab in the middle on I-70. Now, let's settle it. You went to school there. Is it Missouri or is it Missouri? And what do the locals say? It depends. Some of the uh, locals say Missouri and the more urban or city locals, depending on where, like St. Louis, all of them say Missouri, Kansas City, either Kansas City, Kansas or Kansas City, Missouri, all say Missouri. It didn't matter. If you were rural, it was more Missouri, and it was a lot slower. It took somebody from the rural area about three times as long to say Missouri as it does somebody from the city. So the Missourians are good at adding syllables. I thought that was just a Philly thing. About Seneca, that's where Stephen Earl Gaines was born. We know, same date as Ed King, on September 14, 1949. And tragically, we know his date of death. All too well, as it coincides with a terrible tragedy in rock and roll history. Uh, The day the music died for my generation of rock and rollers. 
this bulletin just into WMJS Radio, the Federal Aviation Administration reports that a plane carrying 25 persons crashed tonight in southwest Mississippi. Among those aboard, the Leonard Skinner Rock Group. An FAA spokesman says he received a report of multiple fatalities and some survivors in the crash of the Convair 240. He said the plane was en route from Greenville, South Carolina to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when it crashed two miles northeast of Gillsburg, Mississippi. He said police and a rescue squad are on the scene. Uh, I remember getting the news as someone who was an expectant father waiting for my, my oldest Jess to arrive. Days later, she would arrive. And just thinking how terrible this was. And uh, talking to my mom about how it felt and comparing feelings to the day the music died for her generation, too, with Buddy Holly. Steve was the hot hand, man. He was the hot hand. And once again, the Beatles come into play. And you're thinking, how is that possible? 15-year-old kid saw them performing in Kansas City. All the way home, he bugged that shit out of dad to buy the guitar that he eventually got. Can't even imagine the parents of the Gaines losing both Cassie and Steve to the same plane crash, two of their children. Yeah. You gotta get the pain of one, let alone the pain of both or two. I don't know how many kids there were. But Cassie had become one of the honk guests. And she was pretty special in her own regard. And her opinion uh, in the band matters was relevant. Everybody paid attention to everything everybody was talking about. When when things started to get a little bit off kilter, especially after Ed left the band, nobody was 100% sure what was going on. It took some guts to speak up and say, hey, what about my brother Steve? You know him. And she kind of opened the door for him to come in and get a chance to play with Skinner. And it's kind of a playing on stage, kind of an audition that just tore the lid off it and cemented himself as the new guy. Playing Kansas and Cassie said, hey, my brother's playing in a band called Crawdaddy. And uh, they're playing around around the corner in a bar. We were playing the big Coliseum, you know, and, they, and, he said, and she said, my brother's playing the bar around the corner. He wants to know if he can jam. And we went, you know, no, no, we didn't want people jam. We said, hey, man, we're a big ad. We can't have some idiot come on and jam with us who from ain't the, no good, you from, know. From the Holiday Inn yeah, down the street, we, right? The, the Holiday lounge. Inn band come in here. We, you know, we really thought he was like a sap, idiot, nothing, you know. <laughs> and she went, all right, but he's really good. And we went, yeah, yeah, sure, right. uh-huh. He's your brother, and too. She went, no, he's really good. He's been playing all his life and listening. She played, and we wouldn't even listen to the tape. And we find, finally, she talked an hour in the dressing room and said, please. And we said, all right, he can play one song. And we'll play, uh, we did that song, T for, no, Mr. Breeze. Ah. And, and that was it. And T for Texas. They were both in A, and that was our last two songs. And so we said, okay, he can play these songs with us. We were kind of too busy to really get into him because we were about to go on. Right when he came in, it was like 10 minutes before we went on. So we went, all right, the, the songs you're going to jam in after an hour of playing is, is going to be these. And they're in A. And we played them once through, real not all the way, but just a minute. And he went, okay. He didn't even play. We thought, he, yeah. he don't even care. Yeah. So we noticed uh, during the, you know, we played the set. We didn't even think about it. And he came out. And me and Alan were playing, you know, T for Texas, you know, and just playing away. And, and Ronnie 
looked over in the corner and kind of motioned, come on out. And he came out and plugged up to my spare ant right beside me. And he noticed me and Alan were just playing with, you know, no slide, just fingers and just playing. So he reached in his pocket and pulled out a slide so he could be a little different. And he just started playing all this slide stuff. And he took, we pointed to him for the solo and he, you know, he got it on. He just tore it up and we went, after the show, we said, hey, you're coming with us. And his mind was blown. His eyes were crossed and he was going, and he was on the back of the bus without a bunk. It's weird, but that's kind of how it all came together. It really is weird, but it's also very cool that the band respected Cassie enough to give her little brother a chance, even though they'd seen him around and knew him. And then cut him loose with his songbook in the studio for their final album, Street Survivors. His playing, his songwriting, it was amazing. It brought extra life, new life songwriting-wise, to Skinner's sound. And it put them on a trajectory that showed that they were going to do great things heading into the end of the 1970s, after probably wondering how the band was going to go forward for a few months there. Looking back is because I wasn't really in the heart of all of this happening, so I'm learning in a much more past tense sort of way. But if you listen to the progress of their albums from like 73 up until Street Survivors, they played well and they got better. Their songs got better. And even though they stayed true to their sound, you could hear the way they were progressing. Their their sound was getting a broader audience, and I think more and more people were really starting to dig their sound because it had that Southern feel-good vibe to it. Which is the story of all that late night shenanigans we often talk about, you know, getting kicked out of hotels and hotel bars and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they came back with a couple songs that were just pure Steve. I mean, you got that right with him and Ronnie trading vocals. He's fitting in like he was in the band from the beginning. And I think from the inside, I always got the impression from the guys that Stevie just fit immediately, that they knew it was the right thing. They felt it as soon as they really felt it. And songs like I Know a Little Man, I got to tell you, I, you hear stuff like that and some of the stuff that he wrote before he was even in Skinner, before he knew the guys, and then the things that he was starting to do with them moving forward, it only makes that fateful day even more tragic because not only was the band down and out, they were about to have taken off. They were on their way. They had just done that whole thing. It's on the, It's in the film uh, where they were on stage in London with the Stones and were told, don't go out onto the, you know, the extended stage. And they're all out there. They're, they're dancing on the tongue. They're doing everything they're not supposed to, including putting the entire field on their feet and into a frothy mess with their live <laughs> show. <laughs> and all this is just as they're steaming like, taking off like you know we talked about that ascension and they're taking off and they're flying 
and they are about to go to a whole other level over there and over here, playing these amazing outdoor shows uh, in the U.S. and in Europe. And then it all literally comes crashing down outside of Gillsburg, Mississippi. We've all heard the tales. We've seen behind the music, the various mm-hmm. documentaries about it. We've heard the, the survivors tell their stories. Probably the one that was hardest for me was right when I was going to work with Leonard Skinner. I was watching behind the music for the first time, and it was Billy Powell, who is just one of the most gentle giant men you're ever going to meet. Really nice guy. Telling the story of holding Cassie in his arms while she died in the crash wreckage. Everybody had their stories to tell, and they're all horrific. And that one's just the one that always really just grabs me, man, because... She was becoming part of that family in ways that no one could anticipate, just like no one could anticipate what Skinner was going to do after Street Survivors. I'm not 100% on the lay of the land there where the cra- where they crashed. The plane crashed because they didn't have enough gas, basically. Uh, the engine had been running rich. If they had just managed to run a little bit more efficiently, they would have probably been able to clear the trees and maybe the end result there is is less horrific and tragic. And that's something we should talk about sometime. I've got a lot of thoughts and feelings on uh, October 20th, 1977. But that's what happens. And uh, Steve's on the plane and, and Cassie and Dean and, of course, Ronnie. And uh, his family has done a great job of uh, keeping his legacy and his memory alive. Uh, His ashes buried in uh, Orange Park, Florida after the tragedy. It's one of those things that's made all the worse by the fact that the band and the people in it, especially some young man like Steve Gaines, were just really getting this thing going together into a whole nother uh, level of direction from where they'd been, even though they were already an incredibly successful band. It's hard to believe, and I was reading a little bit about how they skimmed atop the trees before they hit a big tree, and the survivors were all the ones that were in the back of the plane, and it just, I can't even imagine experiencing that in real time. That just sounds so frightening and so scary, and the pilot did his best to try to stay above the trees. And I think it was uh, Gary Rossington said he sounded like it sounded like hundreds of baseball bats smacking the pl- bottom of the plane as they flew over the trees. That had to be scary as hell. His description of that is uh, just chilling. It's another one of those things that when you hear it told, you just it, it makes you freeze mm-hmm. because y- y- these are people who survived a crash that a lot didn't and most people didn't know for a long time we didn't know there was no gas left in that plane there was no danger of crash and explosion in that regard if they had gotten clear of the trees they'd have been okay or more of them would have survived i think that's what i think whatever the fates may turn our way marcus uh, you know when you have two guys who are on opposite sides of this faded coin in rock and roll history, one who's in the band and helps them to get on the right path, and one who starts to put them on the next level path, one gets out and lives, the other gets in and is there for the tragic crash. It's one of those stories that we'll talk about in more detail one day, probably on an episode. But here on Birthday Twins, we want to celebrate two guys who really made one of America's best rock bands ever go. 
because early on and after they found Steve, the rest of these guys uh, were already an incredible unit and an incredible story worthy of a full podcast episode themselves. We'll talk about Skinner sometime here on the podcast. We have to talk about Skinner and go into details. Even if it's just talking about a breakdown of street survivors, we have to go into Skinner. Got a couple updates that I've been wanting to get to, buddy. Uh, got a couple of minutes to run through? I definitely do, and I actually have an update as well for you. Well, first is just a musical note, because I know what a uh, Warren Zevon fan you are, as am I. Um, I've been watching the new, or I can't tell whether it's new, or the newer X-Men movie. It's called the uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix, and it's really incredible. In the opening sequence... Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London, is part of it. And I thought, wow, i got to tell Marcus about this. Hell yes. That's a great update. I'm glad that uh, movies, I'm glad that people who are making movies and making soundtracks respect Warren's music enough to consider throwing it into some of these movies. And it's very appropriate. What do you got? I've got an update to the uh, next wave, 7879. We, oh, that's a recent update. Yes. We didn't really talk about, other than the split ends, much of the Down Under scene. The birthday party, which is early Nick Cave, was forming and making noise down there. You had Midnight Oil's first two albums out in 78 and 79 before we got Power in the Passion and, you know, uh, Beds Are Burning and some of that stuff through the 80s. So their radical political stance was just gaining speed in the mid-70s, in excess of formed in 77. I don't, I don't know, know how, how I did either. Because they're like you, you, they're an obsession for you, so I don't yeah. know how you left that out. In excess, I left out. Uh, there was... Uh, um, yeah, but they really didn't come out until later. 80, We're gonna get 80 to they We're did gonna get, uh, yeah. their first album. And then you also had bands like Australian Crawl, Mental as Anything, The Models, who had an album out. They were part of that scene that was... Making noise, but not recording until the 80s. You started seeing some stuff down under at that time period, which was helping contribute to the alternative and punk and post-punk and goth and all of that scene. I've got a self-correction from our Peter Gabriel album uh, episode. When I was talking about uh, the uh, scene on stage where Peter Gabriel is uh, using the phone booth, phone as a microphone, and he's in the round. I I did confuse two shows and got them kind of mixed up there. That wasn't at the So Tour at the Spectrum. That was at the Us Tour, which took place at the new place in South Philly, the newer venue in South Philly. Gotcha. And the song wasn't what I thought it was talked to be. Gotcha. Which made more sense. I was thinking about it, driving in the car, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, podcast update. Okay. Hey, I got one from the, uh, one of the listeners. Uh, his name is Paul Ross, and he actually sent it a little while ago. And he made a good point. He says, I think you missed John Mayo and the Blues Breakers in Clapton's Moving Around. And, and that's true. We didn't mention that. And we really didn't talk much about uh, Mayo and his role in all of the stuff from the, the British blues side there. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, and that's something we need to correct as we move forward here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. 
Want to thank Paul Schlimm for sending us some information that he found online about Led Zeppelin II and an episode idea for that. Thanks, Paul, and thanks for posting. A lot of people are posting more often on our social media lately, and we thank you for that. I do have an email here from Eddie Howard, who emailed to imbalancehistory at gmail.com. It says, hey, guys, thanks so much for the podcast. I've listened to all your episodes. I'm impressed. And it's definitely expanded my musical reach. I've always been inclined to music before my time, and you guys have an awesome perspective in that area. In other words, it's because I'm old, Marcus. (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely one of those kids who got obsessed with the doors at 16, and here we are. That's right. Great great call. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, Keep up the awesome reporting and forget about the RY. Oh, forget about the RY. P.S. Please do an episode (laughs) on the Grateful Dead. So much fun and history involved in that band. So a band that I saw like 35, 40 times in my life. I know that doesn't necessarily fit my MO, but it's true. Uh, maybe even a jam band episode going from them to fish and string cheese. Thanks with a big old peace sign from Eddie Howard. Uh, that's some good suggestions in there and some good email feedback. Absolutely. Also, I found this message on LinkedIn, believe it or not, Marcus, from uh, Jim O'Brien, who posted, just listened to the podcast on Peter Gabriel. Remember seeing that concert at the Spectrum and just forgot how amazing that album was. Excuse me, is. Thanks to you and Marcus for the information and the history of the music that you play and I grew up on. Stay safe, Ray and Marcus, of course. Nice. Thank you. And we got a nice uh, review. We mentioned Paul Schlimm posting. Uh, he got us a nice review, and I want to thank him as uh, posting this up on Apple, I guess. Uh, Ray and Marcus put on a good show. They do a lot of research, and I learn something new every episode. What? what? Uh, the production <laughs> and presentation are first rate, too. Uh, give it a listen. Thanks, Paul. And birthday twins. So I think this thing is going pretty well, and I keep finding more, Marcus. This is the golden age of rock and roll in so many ways, so it's not shocking that we've seen a bunch of birthday twins. And we're going to see a bunch of birthday twins in the bands that we're listening to today that are younger and still active as well that we have to find. That's right. Always mm. searching, always learning. Well, it's time to pack it all up and come back and do another episode soon. Thank you for all your support here. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And thanks for tuning in wherever you are and finding us and listening to the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 